You are listening to a renowned safety expert, Dr. J. Allen, Dr. J. Allen. on Safety FM. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Safety Focus Moment. They're consultants that want to help you get the safety culture you've been looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoment.com. Well, hello and welcome to Safety FM. I know, new intro. I know, sort of different. I like it. Anyways, how are you? Hopefully you're enjoying this holiday season. Today we have Carrie Usray. Carrie Usray is a process improvement leader and manager of professional services. He has a lot of accolades and his background is pretty extensive. He has been a speaker and a presenter at the ASSC, also part of the National Safety Congress. Today we discuss his story on how he got involved in safety and where his career has led him up to this point. Enjoy today's conversation here on Safety FM. SafetyFM.com. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. And on the line, I have Carrie Ushery here. How are you doing today? Excellent, Jay. Thank you. So we have met recently at a American Society of Safety Professional meetings that they actually had in Orlando, and you did a presentation. And you spoke a little bit about safety and you spoke about human organizational performance. And that kind of got me excited and I wanted to get you on. So I normally like to ask people starting off, how did you get into the path of safety? Sure. Uh, it was an interesting one. So my background is um, I was in the United States Navy. I was in the nuclear power program. And when I got out of the Navy, they were building a power plant near me. Uh, so it kind of uh, worked out really good. I mean, it was from, they're building it from the ground up. So I got in early and we kind of had some training sessions. So I kind of leapfrogged uh, positionally uh, within the organization to run the plant uh, because of my experience in the Navy. <clears throat> and then I had a turning point. I could either go uh, to be a shift supervisor, but that was shift work, uh, or I could go EHS and go to days. So it actually worked out really well. Um, and I've been in safety ever since. So I did a lot of environmental uh, health and safety when I was at the power plant. I did that for <clears throat> about 13 years. Um, and I really wanted to do safety more than environmental. So um, I had a position open up at a construction company. So I went and did that. I was a business unit safety director. And uh, that was all pretty much mostly safety. I had a little bit of environmental, but it was mostly safety. Uh, and that's when I got introduced to the company I work with now, and I've been with them for about 12 years. So that's kind of my background when it comes to safety. So, um, and I, along the way, I've joined different organizations and done a lot um, externally. So I was in, um, when I was at the power plant, I was with the Voluntary Protection Program. Uh, we were a star site, and I did a lot of work with VPPPA, uh, and I work with OSHA as a special government employee, so I get to go do some of the on-site visits. Um, and then uh, when I moved uh, here to Florida, I got involved a lot with the ASSE, now it's the ASSP, um, and various roles uh, at the Central Florida chapter here in Orlando. So, 
Well, let me ask you a couple questions there. So going back to the very beginning of the career, so you just so you end up leaving the, the Navy and then once you actually get into environmental safety and health, what are your concepts of safety at the time? And I know that you said there was a, a nuclear power plant that they were building. So what are, what are your concepts as you first walk in? What is kind of like your your line level, your baseline of safety? What are you looking at in particular? What is what is the method that you're using? <laughs> uh, it was interesting because, I mean, I, I hadn't gone to school for safety. Um, I, I did the reverse career. I got the experience and then went and got the degree. <laughs> so um, so I did a lot of on-the-job training. But the great thing about the, the area that I was in, and especially being part of the um, uh, VPP EPA, was there was a lot of outreach and there was a lot of uh, sharing of information. So we had a really good community that I could uh, draw on uh, a lot of safety professionals around the area um, that I could really uh, lean on and, and go to. But uh, just like with anything else, uh, my early thoughts on safety and what they are now are completely different. Uh, it was very much um, <clears throat> go and build uh, a, a written program, uh, build rules and regulations, um, and things like that. But I really enjoyed uh, the VPPPA, uh, the OSHA's Voluntary Production Program. I really enjoyed that because it helped to put some structure in and it helped to build some things around the safety management system. Obviously not as robust as some of the newer, you know, the, the Z10s or the, the 18,001 or anything like that. Uh, but it was better than uh, an unstructured system. Um, there was a lot of employee involvement, which I really liked too. Um, so <clears throat> early on, I saw the value in uh, doing safety with employees instead of safety to employees. And with just one person doing safety at the entire plant, um, you really had to rely on that. So the command and control, interestingly enough, coming from the military, uh, never really appealed to me um, to do dictating you know, how things get done. So that's interesting. I, I only say that because both of my parents were in the Marines and I think that they went the opposite direction on that, but that's my parents and not everybody in the military is that way. Um, so let me just, let me just ask. So when you start going into this process where you're going, okay, well, I want to do it where I'm having more people involved. How do you get them to buy in at first? Cause a lot of people probably had looked at you kind of crazy at first going, what do you mean you want me to help you? Or what do you mean? They're not just putting controls in place. So how did that work out at the very beginning? Sure. So I, I, everybody wants to have a voice. I mean, we had a safety committee early on, and, and that was really helpful. Um, but uh, again, it started off very unstructured, which is um, uh, a lot of people came in and said, hey, I don't like this. I don't like that. Um, so it was uh, there was always that. But we also created a lot of committees that basically said, hey, we really need you to come help with this. So we built a lot of that employee involvement, and we uh, we incentivized based on participation. Um, so, like when we had these uh, <clears throat> conferences, either the local conference or the national conference, uh, we would incentivize that the more people participated, the more they had an opportunity to go to these conferences, and that was really uh, appealed to a lot of people. Now, bear in mind, you're not going to get a hundred percent participation. They're just people that just want to go in and, and do their job. And they're like, you know, I don't, I don't want to do anything extra. Uh, doesn't mean they work unsafely. It just means they're not going to, you know, 
be engaged beyond the work that they do. Uh, and that's okay. You don't, you don't need 100% participation from everybody all the time. That's okay. And I'll tell you, you know, listening you or hearing you say that a lot of people that are, I would say, behavior based safety would be like, no, you're absolutely wrong on that particular aspect. And I think that that's where when you start talking about these different philosophies that there are out there now about safety, they kind of a little bit more open minded to some extent. And I'm not saying and I, and I agree with you on that standpoint there of it's not because the person's unsafe. It's that I, it's kind of a, kind of a weird wording because. It seems like sometimes people are not paying 100% attention to what's going on, but it's not that they're trying to be unsafe, if that makes sense. But as you're going through your career... Yeah, absolutely. So as you're going through your career and you see these different aspects, and then all of a sudden you go from the power plant and then you're going into the construction side, how do you start getting involved into these lar like these larger... I guess, let me, let me rephrase that properly. How do you start getting involved with these actual safety groups? How do you start getting involved where you decide that you want to be part of these chapters or these national congresses and so on? I've always, I've always felt that the best way to learn uh, is to, to seek out people that are doing things really well. Uh, so, uh, which is interesting because I know there are a lot of uh, professionals, not just safety, uh, who go, they learn uh, their trade, and then they kind of uh, stay in their own little bubble. <clears throat> but to me, the things that I've learned the most are, you know, I know what I know, and I don't know what I don't know. So I'll never go beyond that unless I go out and see what other people are doing. And when I see what other people are doing, I can say, hey, this would work for me, or no, that doesn't quite work for me. Uh, and I can kind of pick and choose and, and go, hey, I like that. Tell me more. Uh, and I can learn from that. You can benchmark. And I don't mean benchmark metrics. Uh, I, I've always hated that because um, your injury rates and my injury rates are two completely different things. So I hate uh, specifically benchmarking metrics, but I love to benchmark against uh, best practices. All right, what are you doing and, and why are you doing it? Um, and let me, let me think about how that would apply to the work that I'm doing. So to me, the organizations that I've joined, um, uh, it's whatever's in your area. So at, at the time, uh, for me, VPP, uh, was huge in the area that I was in and it gave me the most opportunity to meet with others and exchange information and then to go out and, 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 and do more. So I've always, I've always felt engaged uh, to go out and do that uh, for that purpose. Uh, and it also obligates me to actually go to the meetings on a regular basis if I'm, you know, serving in a position. Because <laughs> it's easy to, uh, to be involved, uh, even in ASP, ASS, ASSP. Uh, I don't know. It's going to take me some time to get used to that new acronym. Um, it's uh when I'm not involved as an officer position, it's easy to say, oh, this month I'm busy. Oh, this month I have something going on. I'm not going to go to the meeting. And it can easily be a year or more before you go to the next meeting. So it's, it's good to be involved, uh, even, even if you're just not an officer, but in a committee or anything like that. Because uh, it kind of gets you and it builds an incentive to go and, and to see what's going on. So whether it's through the speakers, whether it's so engaging with other people, um, but you really have to ask questions, right? And say, what are you doing? How are you doing it differently? And that's how I've kind of morphed into where I'm at today. 
uh, is through that kind of concept of reaching out. Now, would you say that during these different conferences and meetings that you've been to, are you cherry picking your version of safety as you go through these or is this you're taking other people's stuff and going, okay, let me adapt it to what I can work with? I mean, coming from the nuke industry, if you I mean, I would imagine that you became very familiar with human organizational performance right away or HP, as it was called back then, um, because that's really, really where a lot of that information came from. So going forward, did you take that information and then kind of cherry pick, cherry pick from some of these other things that you did? Or how did you come about with the, what you believe the concepts are today? I think it's a little of everything. The, the cherry picking to me is more of, um, wow, that's, uh, you're being very successful. You have a program. Tell me about it. Um, and to me, it's more of a, a launching point. It's, it's, uh, I very much dislike going and, uh, hey, send me your program and I'll cut and paste it and put my company name in and paste it in the health and safety plan. Um, that doesn't do anybody any good because you don't really understand it. You're not quite sure what it is, and it certainly doesn't get it out into the, the field, right, uh, on what you're doing and why you're doing it. Uh, to me, it's more of um, whether it's uh, somebody was doing BBS. All right, tell me about this and tell me how it works. Or somebody's doing a specific thing on um, their lockout tagout. All right, show me what it is and how it's different than mine. And, and why would you do it? Why is it better than what I'm doing? So to me, it's more exploratory. Uh, in cherry picking, um, I'm, I'm not taking a cursory concept. It's, it's a launching point for me to go learn more. Uh, and to me, I've, I've tried to, uh, if there's a concept out there, I'm sure there's a book out there, right? And so go out and read. And that's one thing that I encourage everybody to be doing is if you're not reading, uh, books, uh, related to your industry on a regular basis, uh, then start now because um, that really makes a huge difference. And there's so many good books out there. Um, and not all of them are textbook style. And those are hard to read, obviously. Um, but there's some really good books out there. Uh, regardless of the topic, I'm sure you can go find some. Is there any book recently that you've read that you would recommend if it's related to safety or anything off kilter? Uh, there's some that are really good and have stuck with me for a while. Um, Managing the Unexpected uh, by Wyke and Sutcliffe, one of my favorites. Um, Whack-A-Mole by David Marks, uh, one of my favorites. Uh, he was a little little bit on the litigious side because a lot of his examples were from litigation. He was a lawyer. Um, but uh, the concepts are, are really good. Um, there's the, um, the Just Culture. Uh, I really liked a lot. Um and that, I mean, there's just, there's a ton out there. Um, but those are some of my favorites, certainly. So let me ask, as you proceed on inside of your career and you're getting these different concepts at Predictive Solutions, how do you guys come about in regards of when you're involved with a company and you're trying to implement X? How do you go about, how do you assess, how do those things start off? Yeah, that's an interesting one because, um, my role is process improvement leader, right? Um, and that sounds kind of funky, but basically we, we, we try to adopt technology, right? Around a process. Um, some companies, it's a pure technological play, just 
just give me the, the technology. I know what I'm doing with it. Let me go collect my stuff and, and be done. Some companies uh, want to know the best practices and want to build it out. So um, what we focus on mostly is basically you go out and you, uh, it's more of a verif- verification process. So through some form of checklist or, or uh, questions, you're going to go out and say, uh, is are we doing this well or are we not doing it well? Or uh, are we doing it well or is there room for improvement? And that's basically the concept that you go out and you do some verification. It can relate to everything from uh, a behavior-based safety uh, exchange. It could be part of a compliance uh, uh, inspection or observation. It can be part of a verification process. Uh, it can be part of anything along that lines. And it's really... Uh, Work imagined versus uh, work in the field or, or versus actual work, right? So here's what we think it should be doing. Here's what it's actually doing. Is there a gap? And uh, is that gap uh, acceptable uh, risk or not? So what we try to do, though, is uh, we try to get to going out and doing that. And most companies are doing it. Whether they have some kind of checklist, they go out and they mark it up. They find things that, that are wrong. Uh, and then they, they fix them, right? And most companies, they stop there, right? They, they go out, they do it, they collect it, they fix it. <clears throat> but what most companies don't do well is actually take all that information that they're doing anyway. Uh, uh, and this is external to injuries, right? Typically, it could be part of near misses. It could be your observation program. It could be anything along that line is they don't take that information and they don't study it. They don't track it. They don't trend it. They can't uh, sort it like you can an injury, right? So injuries, you know where it happened. You know what kind of injury it was. You know the injury causes and blah, 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 because you have a really robust incident management system. Most companies do because you have to do it. OSHA says you must do it. But when it comes to your non-injury stuff, even near misses, right, um, or uh, worksite observations, those don't have uh, a robust program, right? It's not as structured typically as their injuries. So they can't track it. They can't trend it, right? And I'll give you a great example um, uh, to kind of to, to test my theory there is uh, you walk out under the floor, right? Let's say we're in a manufacturing environment. There's oil on the floor. So that's unsafe. You'd clean it up, right? And you'd mark it down on your little sheet, right? And you come back the next day. There's oil on the floor. That's unsafe. You're going to clean it up. You'll mark it on your sheet. Hey, I found this. I, I, I fixed it, right? And you could do that daily, right, for weeks at a time. Uh, and you're doing the right thing, right? You're finding it and you're fixing it. <laughs> but what you're failing to do is to realize, uh, hey, uh, every day I walk by this area, there's oil on the floor hey, where's that oil coming from? Maybe I should go fix the cause, right? The root cause. Hey, there's a leak in this uh, machine. Let's fix the leak. And now I don't have to worry about the oil. And I know that's kind of a silly analogy, right? Very simplistic. Uh, and we don't live in a simplistic environment. But we do that with our worksite observations all the time. We, uh, we find and fix, right? Uh, but we only address the symptoms. We are not uh, good at addressing uh, the causal factors. Why does this keep happening over and over? And what can we do to address it before it leads to something worse, like an injury, right? 
reaction investigation concept, uh, most companies are not doing it uh, and not doing it well. Uh, so that study act piece uh, is it relates to the plan do study act, right? That study act piece is where you're going to trend, you know, look at your data and then act on the data. Um, so you need to have some structure and how you're collecting it in order to drive that change, right? And that can relate to everything from your significant injury fatality controls that are in place to regular worksite observations from housekeeping to whatever, right? I think sometimes some of the issues that we run into is that we've also set up, you know, to incentivize some of our workers and some of our executives and some of our managers in regards of if you have this many amount of near miss reporting, we will incentivize you X if you don't have an issue that occurs. And I think that that's where a lot of it comes from, because I will tell you, you even giving that example right there, I can almost even visualize people going, okay, I'm cleaning up the floor. This was a near miss, but nothing happened. I cleaned up the floor again, near miss, nothing happened. And they're not going to look at what the issue is um, that's that's causing it. And I mean, I know it's a terrible thing to say, but that's sometimes how some of our upper management looks at the incentive programs. And I know it's a terrible thing to say, but it's the reality of the workforce that we live in. So as we look at these. No, 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 totally agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and, that's, the, and that's the problem. It's like we have this vision that we want people safe. But we also have this personal gain, depending on your executive level, that you might be incentivized. So, what's going to be more important, my personal incentive, or getting somebody safe? If it's it's just an it's just an oil spill, and we kind of already know that it's going to happen, and it's happened before, and we're probably going to take care of it, but we're not going to take care of the problem. Is you really have to kind of juggle how that actually works? And I look at it and I go, if you go into a, if you go into a location or a company that has that problem, how do you address that with the upper management? Is that a question to me? Of course it's a question to you. <laughs> Certainly. So uh, the interesting thing is um, a, a lot of people, I mean, uh, is it evidence-based, right? So a lot of times when you go and you say, hey, I want uh, capital improvement is a good example. Uh, if you don't have uh, injuries related to it, you only have the anecdotal information related to, um, hey, I've talked to this person, I've talked to that person, um, hey, this person reported this and it's a single near miss event. Me as a safety professional, I've gone and looked at it and here's what I think. And now you go into a meeting with a manager and you're basically saying, hey, I want you to spend, you know, a capital improvement expenditure, which is typically could be, you know, a small amount to a large amount. And you're saying, hey, based on this anecdotal information, I want you to spend this month. And without any evidence to back you up, right? It's going to be very difficult to persuade a manager to to produce those funds, right? If I go, uh, uh, now let's flip that around. If I go and I have financial data, right? If I have um, scheduled data, right? I have evidence-based information that I can share and show, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what the problem is. If we change this, it will do this. If we have that uh, on the uh, safety side, right? I think we'd be able to to make a change. But let's let's go back to management too, right? <clears throat> how do we measure safety, right? We'll determine how that plays out. Most companies say, uh, I measure safety based on the lack 
of injuries or based on the number of injuries, right? So if you go and you say, hey, I want you to spend $50,000 to make this change. And they'll say, have we had anybody hurt in that area? No. Next. <laughs> because as long as nobody's getting hurt, obviously, then it's not a priority. Okay? We almost have to build up a string of bodies, right, in order to say, now will you make the change? Right? It's very difficult if we're measuring based on something the, uh, that happens, right, uh, that we have to wait for those things to play out in order to make a change, to justify a change. So we have to... Go ahead. No, go right ahead. No, so, I mean, if we don't go up and say, hey, um, if we start, don't start looking at the, the barriers in place, right? We don't say, hey, we have these things in place and these barriers are insufficient, right? And start looking at our controls that are in place and doing verifications of controls, right? Because we, we have, if we measure my injuries alone, we have this misconception that is that we're that we are doing things safely, and that's why we have no injury. That's a huge misconception, but it's one supported by how we measure safety today, right? Meaning, if I have zero injuries, obviously I'm doing everything well. Therefore, I don't have to do anything differently, right? And that's how management sees it because we are not giving management the tools that they need to measure safety or, or to do safety differently uh, if we measure based on injuries alone. And that and that's a lot of the problems that we run into. It, and I sit here and as you were giving that example, I have to tell you, it came to, to mind uh, a meeting that I was at and this was with, an, uh, with a different organization and they had their safety director inside of this meeting and they were really trying to acknowledge if they were going to do a recall based on how many injuries they were having compared to how much the recall was in a cost. And I was like, how could you sit here and really kind of determine if hurting somebody, injuring somebody, potentially even killing somebody, if there's a cost affected towards doing a recall or not doing the recall. So that kind of drove me crazy. And it's, and of course it's incentive based. And that's the problem. You mentioned the, the, the zero injuries. Absolutely. If you go in and say, let's say today that you have a program that's behavior-based safety nothing wrong with behavior-based safety, but you have zero injuries. But all of a sudden you made the determination that there might be something a little bit better. And let's say for instance, in this case, it's hop and you want to bring hop in and you say, okay, let's change the program. And it's more of not a program, but it's a philosophy and I want to change it to this. And there might going to be, there's going to be X cost in regards to doing the training and ch changing everything out. What do you think they're going to tell you? They're probably going to tell you that you're crazy, that you're crazy. Right. If everything, if I have zero on my scorecard, how can I make zero better? So as a safety professional, I'm going to ask you this question. How do you think we should change our scorecards? What should they look like? What should they have? That's interesting, right? Because I have a love-hate relationship with metrics, right? <laughs> uh, I love metrics because it tells you a direction, right? Where am I uh, compared to where I want to be? But as soon as you adopt a metric, you can gain that metric, especially if you incentivize it, right? So that's my love-hate relationship with metrics. Uh, when they're used for the right reasons, I love them. When they're used for the wrong reasons, then trust me, I can pull my hair out 
uh, and based on some of the stories that I've seen where you take a metric uh, and you say, hey, why don't you use it for this purpose? And then it gets reused or repurposed uh, and then totally turns its on and on its ear and you start driving the wrong behaviors because of it. That's what I don't like about metrics. So the, the whole balance scorecard, of course, you still need to track incidents, right? You can't get around that. But they shouldn't be the end-all, be-all, right? Uh, to me, uh, an, an injury is only an outcome or a potential outcome, right? It's really what you should be looking at is the, and I know the leading indicator, uh, uh, that's the term I use for anything non-injury related. So anything up to but before an injury, to me, is a leading indicator. Um because I know, hey, uh, leading indicators, by the time they're reported, they're lagging indicators. Yes. So I define leading lagging a little differently. I define it, leading as anything that's not injury-related. And anything that's injury-related, obviously, is a lagging indicator. In my, in my, That's how I determine it. Um, so therefore, when you talk leading indicators, you have to start looking at what are we doing to build safety into our program, Right. And what, what are we doing to actually actively do safety uh, in our organization? Because I can achieve zero injuries and do absolutely nothing. I want to make sure that's crystal clear because that is how most companies operate. They get these safety teams who try and go out and, and, and uh, do safety, right? And then you get the rest of the organization with 20 other priorities, Right, including safety, and they just get you know, safety's like, hey, uh, I'm having no injuries, so get off my back. I've got widgets to put out the door. I've got a schedule to keep. I've got you know, a hundred people that I've got to um, figure out uh, work schedules. I've got you know, blah 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 blah. Right. So as long as we you know, hey, as long as I'm having no injuries, I'm fine. And when I do have an injury. Well, holy crap, that means we did something different, right? And so let's go figure out what the easiest, quickest way to figure out what that different was, which could have been what you were doing every day leading up to that, obviously, right? Um, and then figure out, oh, there's our, there's our problem. This guy didn't follow a procedure or whatever. You do some quick uh, corrective action plan or at least document this is what we should do for a corrective action. And we move on. It only gets weird when you start having multiple injuries and then people start scratching their head. What, you know, I did, we're not doing anything different today than we were yesterday or the day before. Why is that happening now? And that's where it gets really interesting and very weird for companies uh, when they have multiple injuries or they have a significant injury, right? And it leaves people scrambling to go, you know, what can I have done to prevent this? Right? And, and the answer is usually, uh, we can't keep doing what we've been doing, right? Because if you didn't see it coming, then obviously that there's a gap in your system. Right? And, and that's where some of those conversations start coming about where they turn around and go, well, are all, aren't all accidents preventable? Um, if we had a better quality worker, um, they wouldn't have been injured. And that's when I start taking a look at those systems and going, where is the flaw in the system? Is the flaw in the system what the worker is doing or is the flaw in the system the upper management not understanding what safeguards need to be in place 
and I know that I'm, I'm kind of going tangent based, but at the same time, just, just listening to some of it, it gets so frustrating at times of people not being able to understand that not everything that worked in the past is going to work in the future. And as we move forward with these different concepts of safety, and I know that some of these programs that have been instilled in some of these companies have cost small fortunes just to be able to put them in, into place. I look at it and go, what can we do moving forward and say, okay, boom, we can do this and maybe implement a change within the organization. Because I have to tell you, the moment that you start talking about hop and you tell somebody it's a philosophy and that it's not a program, I always like to see their face because it's always amazing that initial look of shock of what do you mean? So now I don't have this. Um, I don't have the sheet that I'm going to fill out and it's going to tell me everything that I'm supposed to do step by step. And it's like, no, this is this is what we're going to do. We're going to do learning teams and we're going to learn more about the organization. And if something goes wrong and it's I always like having those conversations because then you go, what do we do moving forward? So when your company comes in and starts doing some of these process improvements, is everything based on an app or are they able when you go in, is it app based mostly or is it program based or how do they go about doing some of the concepts? So it is certainly uh, app based, right? So for example, uh, you could build a checklist, right? And that checklist could be uh, whether it's a BBS checklist, a compliance checklist, uh, any kind of checklist that you want to go out and verify a uh, process or uh, observe a, a, a work task. Um, so the companies build these checklists, right? And they're already using them, right? They're going out and saying, hey, good, bad, whatever. Uh, so the apps are there because the reason they're there is because they had some kind of way or methodology to do it on paper previously. So they want to kind of digitize it. And that's usually when they come to us. Like we have all this paper, but we're a large organization. We have all this paper and at best companies or projects are putting this in an Excel spreadsheet to kind of track and trend it. Um, so you can't really roll the data up. You can't really see where, you know, any historical information. You can't talk from one group to the next, especially at the corporate level, right? Uh, so if you, if you ask somebody, hey, what's my incident rate? Uh, you can get it at the company level. You can get it at the regional level. You can get it at the project level. Boom, 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 right? But if you ask them, hey, show me your observation data metrics uh, across the company, across the region, across each project, uh, they wouldn't be able to do that. Usually. So that's usually when they come to us is they want some of that transparency and visibility into what's going on in the field. You know, what are we seeing? Uh, and can we use that information to then be proactive in our uh, prevention efforts, right? So that's usually what gets them to come to us. Um, and then what we found is, uh, and that's why I'm kind of migrating toward the hot principles, um, is <clears throat> imagine people are collecting these observations, right? And you start to find these um, at-risk or, or opportunities for improvement, right? So you go out and you say, hey, this guy's not tied off, or hey, uh, this guy did a lockout tagout without, um, you know, uh, testing the machine before he started work on it. He locked it out, but he didn't test it. You know, whatever it is. And it's like, whoa, that's kind of a wow, right? Uh, I'm glad we caught this before it led to an injury. Uh, and now uh, 
people start treating these findings as if they were an injury. I don't want injuries. I don't want bad things to happen, right? Uh, I once had an operations manager at the end of a big training stand up and say, I expect everybody to be 100% safe, right? Which means the, what he just put out there is I don't want to see any deviations from expectations, right? Which means you now have no proactive data to act upon because he basically said, I don't want to see it. I don't expect to see it. Don't tell me about it. So that leads you into the hop principles, which is error is normal, right? So the expectation of somebody being fallible should be expected and, and I want to know about it because I can't manage that risk if I don't know about it. So early on we saw uh, and we even ran a predictive model and one of the biggest factors that led to locations that had a high number of injuries were the ones that said nothing's ever wrong. Does that make sense, Jay? Oh, absolutely. Basically the locations that were always 100% safe, right? Never had anything to report proactively were the ones that had a high number of injuries, right? <clears throat> so that's kind of interesting because uh, basically the more you can find these deviations, right? Uh, and have people speak up. And more importantly, you connect the dots and then say, wow, if this has happened more than one time, right? It's a systemic issue. Now let's put that learning team together and say, we're having this issue. What can we do to make it so we can avoid uh, an injury? Or what can we do to make it better, right? So now you have this team that can get together. You bring in the workers, you bring in the operations team, you bring in safety and say, let's brainstorm it, right? Let's put something in place and then let's track this change to see is it making a difference or not. And that's really how I see the progression of safety is, is you know, you target you know, just like treating cancer, right? You want to target where the issue is and then you want to go apply your change and then you want to measure did it get better. Right. So instead of waiting for somebody to die and go, hey, uh, probably should have checked for cancer. <laughs> you want to go out and proactively find it and address it. Right. Now, Carrie, if the listeners want to know more about you or about preventive, excuse me, about predictive solutions, what do they need to do? Yeah. So uh, predictive solutions, uh, we are a software as a service uh, company. Uh, the easiest thing to do is go to um, PredictiveSolutions.com. We have a lot of uh, case studies on there, some white papers, and some uh, shows you kind of what we do. Uh, and the interesting thing that we do a little differently is um, my team, I'm the manager of professional services at Predictive Solutions, and my team, uh, we're all safety professionals. Every one of us has uh, served in a uh, both as site safety and as a um, higher level function safety within an organization. So my company brings real life work experience to the application of this technology. And the technology is designed to uh, allow you to collect information proactively, right? And then use that data to drive improvement. Uh, so we bring together that the process improvement and the, the basically that safety experience uh, we bring that to bear to help you develop if you don't already have or to sustain and improve uh, your 
basically your leading indicator program, whether that's worksite observations, whether that's BBS, whether that's, you know, uh, verification of controls when you're doing work on SIF, any of those types of things, we help to put a program around it um, so that you can track and trend it and drive improvement proactively. So, but again, the, the website's the easiest way uh, to go and, and look this up. And we have a blog um, that has a lot of uh, uh, things related to leading indicators, related to um, that kind of work um, as well. So we do a lot of articles uh, around that as well. And what is that web address? Uh, PredictiveSolutions.com has the blog. Uh, there's a link uh, within that uh, website. So there's it's menu-driven, so you can kind of go look and, and find case studies and the blog and all kinds of stuff like that. Okay. Well, Carrie, I do appreciate you actually coming on to Safety FM. Absolutely, Jay. Thank you for the opportunity. It's good talking to you as always. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Join the fun. Join the fun on social media and find us on Facebook at Safety FM.